Amen. I appreciate your faithfulness tonight. I know you had better things to do. Maybe not better things, but things that you would have preferred to do. <laughs> like stay home in a <laughs> nice warm house. But I appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, this will be the conclusion, part two, of a message on idols of the heart. And before we get started, let's ask for God's blessing upon his word. Father, we uh, bow before you, and you know our hearts. You of all people know us even better than ourselves. And you know the things in our hearts that, um, that are idolatrous. Uh, you know that we have idols inside of our hearts. We pray that by your mercy that you would reveal these things to us and that you would convict us and that you would purge us of these things so that we may love you in a greater way. So we look to you now for your grace and for your wisdom. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher right now. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we mentioned last week that we have fruit sins and we have root sins. And so obviously the fruit sins are the sins that we see outwardly. We can identify those, anger or things like that. Um, but then there are the root sins and it's the sin beneath the sin. And normally what's below the surface is attached to an idol. And if you remember, we used Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. And this demonstrates the bent of the human heart towards idolatry. And if you remember this passage, uh, Jeremiah says that my people, God speaking, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the source of living water, and have taken to themselves cisterns cisterns that are broken that cannot carry water and so what we gather from that passage is that this is the nature of idolatry is that rather than God being our source of joy of peace of purpose of fulfillment uh, we are deceived because our hearts are deceitful above all things desperately wicked and so our hearts are easily deceived by idols, things that promise us fulfillment and joy and purpose, only the things that God can provide. So let's define idolatry. And as we mentioned last week, our hearts are idol factories. So it's not a matter of, do I have any idols? We do. All of us. It's a matter of what are they. We need to identify them and ask God for his grace to attack these things uh, so that God may reign supreme in our hearts. So the definition of idolatry. An idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture your heart and mind and affections more than God. It's living on substitutes. It's exchanging the glory of God for something else. We read that passage last week in Romans chapter 1. 
in verse 25. The Bible talks about those who profess themselves to be wise. They became fools. They changed the glory of God uh, into an image made like unto corruptible man and so on. And then it comes down, it says in verse 25, who changed or exchanged the truth of God into a lie. And the lie is that there is something other than God that can satisfy you. And these idols are so convincing. I mean, we've been I've been deceived by them many times. Even knowing the truth. Idols are very attractive. And we exchange the truth of God into a lie. And we worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We try to live independently of God. And God consistently puts us in situations where we can only trust him. That's uncomfortable. Uh, we've all been there. And God will continue to do it. I think of the story in the Old Testament that is so prominent in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel out in the wilderness. God purposefully took them out into the wilderness. And we don't have to guess why God did it because God reveals why he did it. It says in the book of Deuteronomy that God put them in the wilderness to see what was in their hearts. So he put them in a place where what did they have? They had sand and rocks. <laughs> that was it. They couldn't be self-sufficient if they wanted to. They couldn't grow their own food. There was no water out there. They couldn't fish. They couldn't hunt. <laughs> they, all they had in that wilderness was God. And God purposefully does this, and he'll do it to every one of his children. He will put us in situations where we have to trust him. There's only one place to look. And even the lesson that we learn from the children of Israel in the wilderness is... They had to collect that manna every day. It wasn't a week's supply. It was day by day, every single day. They couldn't store up. They couldn't get security in the future. I mean, it was day by day. And God was doing that to see what was in their heart. And God was proving himself that he himself was enough. And as I mentioned last week, I think of Moses. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God. The Bible says he did not drink anything and he did not eat anything. Now, you can go without food for 40 days, but you can't go without water for 40 days. That's not humanly possible. But when you're in the presence of God, what do you need? I mean, Moses was in the presence of God. I don't think he slept for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. But there he was in front of God. And he came back with a glow on his face. The glory of God. So in, in truth, all we really need is God. And God will consistently steer us and put us in situations where he's going to prove himself. That, that, that he is all that we really need. So how do you spot, spot an idol in your heart? When it crosses over the line from, I enjoy this thing 
to I must have it. As we mentioned last, last week, it goes from a good thing to a God thing. That's when it becomes an idol. And for believers, really, we are just, it's what we, how we sin is we desire good things too much. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Now, in the Old Testament, idolatry is identified as idolatry. It's mentioned, I haven't counted, hundreds of times, I'm assuming. It's a common topic in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it is mentioned a few times, specifically idolatry. But look for words like lusts and desires. And that is the New Testament equivalent of idolatry. It's these lusts that we have, these desires. And for believers, normally they're good things, but we desire them too much. They cross the line from being, I enjoy this thing, to I must have it in order to be happy. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence or desire, and covetousness. Now the Bible says it, New Testament, which is idolatry. And if you'll notice that, that, that little phrase in the middle there, inordinate affection. That's what we're talking about. In, an inordinate affection would be excessive. It's not a bad thing, but it's desiring it too much and it becomes a God. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is talking about the children of Israel out in the wilderness. Paul's using it as an example here in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not, notice the word, lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, here's where we're going to see the inordinate desires or lusts. Is it wrong to eat? No, we need food. But when it crosses the line is when you look to food as a substitute for God. It brings you comfort. It, it, it's, it's your source of peace and joy. The same with drink. They rose up to play. I mean, it's okay to... Have times of relaxation. Um, but then again, it can cross the line and become idolatrous. Because none of those things in and of themselves is wrong. Eating, drinking, and playing. Then notice verse 14. Uh, Paul goes through some other things here, and then he sums it up in verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. 
So it's still here. Idolatry is alive and well, and it's not just in Nepal, and it's not just in Japan. It is right here at the Central Baptist Church, and it's right here in my heart. It's alive, it's well. I have idols, there's no doubt about it. Notice James chapter 4. Sometimes we wonder, where do wars come from? Where does this come from? Where, even in the church, where do arguments come from? Where do fightings come from? Well, the Bible's going to tell us. The roots are idolatry. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts? that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. So that's where this comes from. That's where wars come from inside your home, inside the church, inside of nations. That's where it comes from. It comes from lusts, idolatrous attitudes. Is there a good thing that, must, that you must have and that is actually ruling your life? So I don't, like I mentioned last week, I don't think there's any bank robbers in here. Um, no drug dealers, I don't think. Um, so these aren't the idols that Christians would have. Normally, Christians will take a good thing and desire it too much. Then it becomes an idol. It seeks to replace God. We mentioned last week there may be somebody that desires a spouse. They're not married, so they desire a husband or a wife. That's a good thing. The Bible says it. It's not a wrong thing to desire a husband or a wife, but if that's where all your hope is, if that's what you're looking toward in order to meet the deepest needs of your heart, you've put your faith in the wrong place. A good job. I mean, it's God's will that we work. So to pray for a job, that you can supply the needs of your family, that is a good thing. Of course, it's God's will that we work. We're even going to work in eternity. So working is God's will. Adam and Eve were working before sin. <laughs> it's good. But you know, a job can become your life. It can become your identity. It can be where you get your affirmation from. You, you want to be attached to that job. That's where you find success. And again, it becomes an idol because you're looking to that thing to do what God is meant to do. God is meant to give you joy. He is meant to give you peace. A good marriage is something to be desired, uh, but it should not become idolatrous as if everything hinges upon that. Success in the ministry can certainly become an idol. Without a doubt, 
I mean, the ministry can be a place where you get affirmation, you get approval, you get compliments. People look at you and they, they think well of you. And you can look to these things. Even something good like the ministry can become idolatrous. There's no doubt about it. It did in my life and it continues to be a temptation. No doubt. When we first got married, I was married to the ministry. I worked at the church seven days a week. I didn't think I needed a day off. My wife had to compete with God. So that was wrong. And it, and it caused problems, and it was my fault. And, uh, but I was getting, you can get it at a church. You can get all those compliments, and you can get affirmed and so forth. And, so these, and that's why idolatry is so deceptive. These idols prey on our hearts that are already so deceitful. And so these are good things. None of these things are bad things. A spouse, a good job a good marriage, success in the ministry. I mean, all of us like to be loved and appreciated, but if you have to have it, you have to have the approval of your parents, or you have to have uh, the approval of these people at work, or you, you have to have love and acceptance and approval from people, then it becomes an idol. Have you lost your identity in Christ in order to gain your identity in something else? Are you getting your fulfillment from your work or from some other area or person and not Christ? How do you know if you have crossed the line into idolatry? Follow the trail of your time, money, and affections. They will lead you to your God every single time and we mentioned last week our emotions also are trails that lead us to what we care about most why do we worry about something why do we fret why do we have sleepless nights worrying about something well whatever we're worrying about must be pretty important to us why do you fear losing something to the point where you worry and you're consumed by it. You should follow your emotions because a lot of times anger, why, why do you get so angry if something's taken away from you? Why, why does, you ought to, again, we see the anger, okay? That's the fruit sin. But what's happening down below at the root level? Why did that anger crop up? Why did you get so angry when that happened to you? And I mentioned last week that it, I'm much more calm here in America than I am in Tanzania. I get there, and all of a sudden, this starts cropping up. I get on the road, and, and I know it's below the surface. I'm thinking that I deserve for other people to obey the, the traffic laws. Uh, why are people so stupid? <laughs> why do they drive so crazy? And, um, or I'm sitting at home in Tanzania and someone knocks at the gate and I'm, I'm, in my heart I'm thinking I deserve peace and quiet. And I shouldn't have to put up with beggars coming to the gate every day. So that's my heart. That's inside my heart. So you may just see my aggravation and my anger, but there's something going on underneath there. 
That's really the sin beneath the sin. So follow the trail of your time, money, and affections. We mentioned last week, every human being on earth is a worshiper. There are no exceptions. If you are not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else, period. Everybody worships on Sunday. Some people worship at Central Baptist Church. Some people at Cherokee Lake. But everybody's worshiping. Viking Mountain, everybody's worshiping. Everybody, no exceptions. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. And we can't help it. This is how we're designed by God. We are designed by God with specific needs. And the question is, where are you going to go to meet those needs? You're going to go to God, your creator, or are you going to forsake God and go to find these cisterns, these other things that you think are going to meet the needs of your heart? Matthew chapter 6. This is a great passage on idolatry, on your devotion to God, and having idols in your heart. Because the whole focus of this passage in Matthew chapter 6 is about devotion. Who is really your master? Who are you really devoted to? And you'll see it. It's all throughout here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Here's a great comment by Jesus. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where whatever you treasure, your affections are going to follow that. You know, I don't have a lot of money in the stock market. But if I did, I think I'd be looking at the stocks every day. Because that's where my treasure would be. If I had millions of dollars tied up in the stock market, I'd probably wake up first thing in the morning, get on the computer, find out what's happening. And that's the principle here. And it's, again, it's not wrong to have stocks, of course not, or to have savings or a retirement plan. Uh, but again, is it your God? Is it what you are trusting for your future security? Because wherever you put your treasure, your heart's going to follow and your affections are going to go right along with it. Then it says, verse 22, and this, is all, this whole passage is all about one thing. Commitment to God. Single-mindedness. The light of the body is the eye. If th therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So again, single-mindedness. Then it says in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money 
or material possessions. That's, a, that's quite a statement. It doesn't say it's difficult. It says you cannot. You're going to have to choose. And that's one of the main idols of the entire world is, is money, is material possessions. We just assume that if we had enough money, we'd be peaceful. We'd have joy. We'd never have another problem. It would be the answer to all of our difficulties. If we just had enough money. Jesus says in verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, he keeps wrapping up. This is all connected. He's going to make another summarization right here. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles or unbelievers seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Here it is right here. Focus, devotion, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we tracked your life for 30 days, where would your time, money, and affections lead us to? You'll talk about your idol. You'll talk about your idol. You'll talk about what you love. You'll build your schedule around your idol. Because your idol is all-consuming. Your, your idol is replacing God. So it's going to be a master. It's going to have demands. And it's going to require certain things. And you're going to be consumed by it. You'll worry about your idol or idols. You'll get angry if you are being blocked from them. And that's why sometimes people get in my way or get in your way because they're blocking me from my idol. That's aggravating to me. The Tanzanians do it a lot. My idol of peace and quiet Many times that idol is, I'm blocked from that idol. So you'll worry about your idol. That's why there's marriage problems. Because there's two idolaters in the same house. So my wife has idols, I have idols. And I'm wanting my wife to come alongside me to help me serve mine. And she's wanting me to come alongside her to serve hers. And that's why there's a difficulty. 
I'm thinking it's all my wife's problem. If she would just submit, you know, she would just do what I want her to do. She'd just, you know, <laughs> and she's thinking the same thing. So you worry about your idol. You'll get angry if you're being blocked from them. And you will fear losing them. That's where all these emotions come in. Worry, fear, anger. And if you have your idol, joy. Everything's going great. So follow your emotions. And follow your time and your money and affections. These will all lead to one place. Now, if you're rejoicing in the Lord, great. I mean, if your time is being spent serving God, that doesn't mean you have to be in the full-time vocational ministry. You serve God any waking hour, on the job, at home. You're serving God. So if your time is being used to serve the Lord and your money and your affections, great. If that's all leading to God, your life's in the right place. If your idol is taken away from you, you will be devastated. And there's a difference between being disappointed in something or being devastated. Now, losing your job can be disappointing. Definitely. You're concerned. Uh, how are you going to meet the needs of your family? How are you going to pay your bills? Um, but you shouldn't be devastated. Take note of your heart uh, during suffering. Don't waste times of suffering and trials. God, show me what is in my heart. And God, like the children of Israel, he will put us in the wilderness. He will put us in places where we can only look to him and don't waste those times of suffering and those times of trial. Uh, I know many of you know this, but about eight or nine years ago in Tanzania, I came down with malaria and typhoid at the same time. And then on top of that, I had a very serious infection. I was on all this crazy medication that was just being thrown at me from a local doctor. And, um, and I went into a deep, dark, I mean a horrible depression uh, that is beyond my ability to describe. And it, and it lasted for like a year and a half. I mean, I couldn't sleep. I mean, it was horrible. But I think, I know that God was working in my heart in a great way. Before that time, I was so self-sufficient. I was so proud. I didn't need anybody. I could handle things on my own. Well, during that time, my wife had to read the Bible to me. I couldn't even read. And my wife had to sit there and read the Bible to me. I was humbled. I realized I'm not self-sufficient. I can't handle life on my own. I do need my wife. I do need other people. So praise the Lord. I look back now and I'm like, that was a necessary time. And I was not a very compassionate person previously. 
I mean, my attitude towards the problems of others many times would be build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> Suck it up. <laughs> well, I prayed for compassion. I prayed that I'd be like Jesus. Well, God put me in a place where he changed me. So I notice now that I'm a lot more patient. I'm a lot more compassionate. <laughs> I'm a lot more honest. If I need something, I'm going to tell you. I do need the body of Christ. I do need other believers. I do need God and other people. God, please don't remove this trial until I learn all that I am supposed to learn. C.S. <laughs> Lewis, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, and shouts to us in our pain. That's where we're going to hear the voice of God, the, the clearest. Pain is God's megaphone to awaken us from our slumber. There are four things you can see during a time of trial and, trial and suffering. Four things you can see. What you really love what you really believe, what you run to as a refuge, and what you really treasure. And I asked for Missy's permission before the service tonight to use her mom as an example of exactly this. And I can't believe it's been 19 years ago that she's been in heaven. Pardon me? 18. Okay. Anyway, I was the pastor at the time uh, when Missy's mom was, um, was in the process of dying. Uh, she had cancer, and so I had the opportunity to visit her regularly. I can't remember a time that I ever heard her complain, and she had to be in horrible discomfort and pain. Uh, do you know what she wanted me to do when I went to visit her? She wanted me, and this shows you how desperate she was, she wanted me to sing with her. <laughs> she wanted to sing hymns. And I'm telling you, maybe, maybe I went there to encourage her, but I'll tell you, I was the one that was just so greatly touched by watching this lady die. And she always talked about the Lord. She always was joyful and thankful. She wanted me to sing hymns with her about Jesus. And we found out what was really in her heart. We found out what she really loved. She loved Jesus. She believed in him. She ran to him as a refuge. And Jesus was her treasure. And that suffering and that trial revealed that praise the lord trials will reveal to us if we really trust god that story about oh is really astounding i mean here the poor man loses all of his servants all of his children all of his possessions at one time and after all that, 
Can you imagine losing 10 children at one time? Here's his response. Then Job arose and rent or tore his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that was Satan's point, by the way. That was Satan's exact challenge to God, was that this guy's not serving you for nothing. Don't kid yourself, God. He doesn't really love you. He loves all the stuff you give him. Of course he loves you. Look at that big farm he has. Look at all those children. Look at how you blessed him. Of course. I'll guarantee you, if you take these things away from him, he will curse you to your face. Well, guess who won the challenge? Hallelujah. <laughs> Trials expose what is really in our hearts. It's like that tea bag I used last week. The hot water doesn't give flavor to the tea. It only brings out what was already in there. So that's all trials do. That's what they do. They really show us What's really in our hearts? You say, well, that's really not me. Yes, that was really you. Even in Tanzania, when I look at my heart and think, oh, did I really do that? Yeah, I really did that. That was really in my heart. <laughs> but the Tanzanian did not put it in there. The Tanzanian hot water drew it out. It's already in there. And last of all, Look for chaos. Idolatry fuels chaos. That's why there's fighting. That's why there's arguments. It's because we have these cravings, these lusts, and that creates these conflicts. Idolatry is self-seeking. Here's some heart diagnostic questions. Am I willing to sin to get it? Am I willing to sin if I feel like I'm going to lose this? Do I run to it as a refuge? Is my career my refuge? Even the ministry. Is food, is money, is pleasure? What is it? What are you looking to other than God? to satisfy your heart. And we'll always blame something else. Well, it's my circumstances. Well, if you had a wife like I have, or if you had a husband like I have, or if you had the circumstances I have, or if, no. I think of Missy's mom again. Well, think of her circumstance. Horrible circumstance. But what came out? What was in there? She loved Jesus. She wasn't looking to anything else. And yet we always make those excuses. If only, if my circumstances were changed. But that's not true. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
What is your life? It should only be Christ. Everything your heart really wants is found in him. That's why he used all these illustrations. I'm the bread of life. That's what he said. I'm the living water. <laughs> I mean, he went, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he uses all these illustrations to zero in on the point that God is enough and he is all we need. Now, if he gives us things to enjoy, I mean, I think he's given all Americans many things to enjoy. We live a good life here. So it's not wrong to have nice things long as those are not what you're looking towards. And like Job, we found out. Was he worshiping his farm? And all his possessions, he wasn't. I mean, and that trial drew that out, that he was a true worshiper and lover of God. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts. You know how we just wander. And rather than trusting you, looking to you, for all that we need, you know how we are, how we constantly are taken in by other things that promise what only you can deliver. And we've been deceived by these things many times. And so we pray that you would search our hearts and test us, like it says in Psalms 139. See if there be any wicked way in us. We just pray that you'll reveal these things to us uh, so that we can repent and that we can turn to you for forgiveness and grace and help. Lord, forgive us. You're worthy. You're worthy of our complete devotion. You're worthy to be our only master. And yet uh, we are many times adulterers and adulteresses. We've made friends with the world we have put our hope in other things to bring us happiness and joy and peace when really you're the only one that provides those things. So help us by your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.